airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. Sherry B. is over in Studio CC, and uh, as we always say, we mean it. We appreciate you allowing us to spend an hour with you each weekday. Um, You know, whether you're picking up kids at school or you're making your daily route, whatever it is that you're doing Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, allows you to find yourself tuned in to hear the Addisons kind of go at it. uh, We appreciate it. So thank you so much for doing that. Always want to let you know that there are several ways that um, that you can connect with us if you hear something on the show mm-hmm. and you've got questions about it. By the way, we're not always able to respond in detail to every email that we get. Yeah. But I want to say this. I want to make sure that our listeners understand mm-hmm. we do get those emails. Yeah. And some of them. And I hope that I, I hope that our listeners notice this because some of the emails we respond to in a show. Mm hmm. So you have questions, you have comments, and then we try to cover those questions or comments by weaving it into a discussion. So thank you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. That's called show prep. They're like, well, okay, then you need to pay us. Um, Because some of your questions are so good. We think, you know what? Everyone should hear this conversation. Everyone should be a part of this kind of discussion. And so what we do is we turn it into a show. Um, in fact, I, I, I will say right now, there was an email that we got maybe last week mm-hmm. that will be an upcoming show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're working on that behind the scenes. I thought the um, the question and some of the objections raised in the email that we received were um, those are apologetics moments, a defense yeah. of the faith, yeah. a defense for where Christians stand. Yeah. And so we have not replied to you directly. But just know we got your email and there will be a show coming up on that topic because it's a good one. It's a really, really good one. And there are answers to those tough questions. So anyway, speaking of email, if you want to email us, it's addisons at AFR.net. That's right. Addisons at AFR.net. The style of our show, you are already familiar with this, but the style of our show is conversational, everyday language, right? This is this is how families, faithful Christians are living in 21st century America. And so we're looking at current events Mm -hmm. and pop cultural topics and then having a conversation around that through an unapologetic biblical lens. Yeah. That may be a little bit wordy to put in the description, but that's it. That's kind of long. That's what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're doing. Um, And we thank you for listening. We thank you for tuning in and being a part of that discussion with us. And, uh, and Will, over the weekend, the whole country is kind of having a sober, sober moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Kobe Bryant and uh, his daughter and, and. And there were others, you know, families, seven, se- yeah, seven total of, of nine like families have been, you yeah. know, affected uh, by this tragedy of a helicopter crash uh, in, in California. And uh, it, it's, it's shaking a lot of people. It's shaking mm-hmm. a lot of people. And, and I'll tell you one thing, you know, just being, I, was, I was somewhere this morning and, I, and you can actually there was one guy I was talking to who was almost in tears. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he said, you know, he was like, man, I, I'm a big fan, big fan of uh, Kobe Bryant, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it it lended itself to an opportunity to bring up eternity. Wow. You know. Oh, excellent. And excellent. Um, I think people's heart and, and, and I know some of the um, conversation as well, you know, just like what happened after most tragedies, you know, people kind of sober up and then it, it seems like it wears off after a while. Mm-hmm. But, man, I'm, I'm a believer in seize the moment. Because Absolutely. there are some who whose heart is just just right, and, and the yeah. soil is good soil. Um, I, I know of of one person around nine eleven after nine eleven the day after nine eleven he got mm-hmm. saved, mm-hmm. but he had been ministered to all before then, you know. Yes, and he got saved, and he today still a believer, you know. He hasn't, mm-hmm. and and I think there's a lot of people uh, who are ripe and ready to hear the gospel. Uh, to even have a, a seed that would be sown or, or planted into their heart that, you know, somebody else would come behind them and water and God would yeah. give the increase. And, you know, it's just a, a, a ripe time. This is what we do as Christians. I don't care how cliche it feels or how cliche it sounds, mm-hmm. but this is what Christians do. We show up. We are there at the moment where there is an opportunity for the answer to be given to people's questions. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what it looks like to the world. You know, there are going to be some people who feel like, no, there is no, there is no spiritual answer to mm. what people are feeling. People mm. just need this or people just need that. Yeah. But for the Christian, we realize, we recognize very clearly. Yeah. That Jesus Christ is the answer and that this is an opportunity. You know, one of the things that that I'm exploring as I look at this and I'm looking at all the posts and, of course, you're constantly reading the stories. I mean, it's just it's it's everywhere. People are I mean, collectively, there are people who are in shock, like people are just like, you know, and we've got some clips that we're going to play and just kind of have a conversation around that. But before we do that, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I want to say that every Christian should realize and I would say recognize in a moment like this is that death is a punishment. Mm. Death is a punishment. Now, some people are going to say, are you saying that Kobe? That's not what I'm saying. I'm Mm -hmm. talking to believers who understand that death in and of itself is a punishment. We forget that. But when it strikes close to home, we are reminded that it has a sting that can only speak of a punishment. Mm. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't often think about death as a wage, right? Something that has to be paid. And so when we have someone who, like our nation knows, and they die, we feel the sting of that. And we say, this isn't right. This is wrong. But what happens also is that we are reminded that death is something that all of us must face. Mm. Right. Yeah. But there is one who overcame death. Amen. Right. Amen. And in him, for the believer, we understand that it's appointed for man to die once and after that to face the judgment. So because Jesus come death, I think there are big questions, you know, during these times, people say things like, you know, rest in peace. And, mm-hmm. and the, everyone kind of goes back to what is programmed in them, mm-hmm. that there is eternity. Right. right. Even people who don't think about it on a daily basis, when you have a tragedy like this, we are reminded, one, that death has a sting. Yeah. It has a sting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is this is why what Jesus Christ did is so powerful. He overcame death. He overcame the sting of death. 
Death had no victory and no claim over him. And every Christian rejoices in that because we realize that because Jesus Christ overcame this sting. And man, that's that is the best way to describe death has a sting. (laughs) Even if you've been walking with a a loved one who you're preparing for their death or if it's sudden and happens in an instant, they both have a sting. Yeah. You realize that death as a payment for sin, a consequence overall for sin in the world, you recognize that that is true right. because there's no way to explain it any other way. It just, it doesn't make sense that we have to grieve and feel that kind of pain, except that it is attached to something that has spiritual implications. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, as you say, Will, to mm-hmm. your point, mm-hmm. this is an incredible opportunity for every Christian to be there with yeah. the answers to people's questions. Because people actually they have questions and they don't know what to do. You know, um, I actually heard a couple of uh, sports broadcasters, yeah. you know, talking about this. And you can tell that they were like shook, you know. Yeah. Um, one guy, I want to play a, a clip real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Nick Wright. Uh, he's uh, one of the co-hosts of the show. Uh, what's the name of that show? First Things First, I believe the name of it. And he was talking and he had Chris Broussard on the show with him. Oh, yeah. And we okay. know Chris Broussard is a Christian. He's yeah. a he's a, a strong Christian that even caught flack for standing up for Christ, you know, um, yeah. a few years back. So mm-hmm. but he was talking about what was going on with, you know, the Kobe Bryant uh, incident and how he was feeling. And I just want to play this this uh, quick uh, clip and we can talk about it. Hold on. Sure. It is for Kobe's family, for the families of the other people on that airplane or on that helicopter, for everyone, it it is the type of thing, and this is not, I'm just going to be totally candid. These three hours today, I, I, it's just going to be, I don't know, soul-searching. But it's the type of thing I'll talk with Broussard off the air about in that Broussard is a man of deep, deep faith. To be totally candid, I am not so much. And it is the type of thing that makes you question either. Like, and that is the impact of something like this. You either say, like, how is this fair? Or this is where you grab someone's hand who has that type of faith and you say, this is how you get through these types of things. And God willing, I, I hope those, those, his three other daughters and his wife have that support structure around them because this is, this is unbelievable. Now, oh, you man. heard what he said. He said he's going to, yes. he want to talk to Chris after. After the show or, you know, I, I think this is just a ripe time, you know, and praise God for Chris Broussard, who is known as a man yes. of faith, known That's as right. a to Christian. To tell the truth. Yeah. He tells the truth about who Jesus is yes. and what is right and what is wrong. And yeah, he, he not only took flack, but I thought, didn't he lose a job he position? He did. He did. Yeah. And yeah. so that's an open door, and, you know, and I, I'm confident that Chris Broussard, and I have, I've talked to him before, is going to give him the gospel and, yeah. and, and stir him in a way you know, that, that uh, he should, should go in this, you know. So things, are like, things like that are happening, but things like that are happening on our level too because people are shaken by this. And, That's you know, right. we need to be there with the answer, which is Jesus Christ. You know, I think that um, this, this man, Nick Wright, who um, you hear they're talking about, you know, you either say this isn't fair or you grab the hands of people who have faith and you try to make sense of this. Um, I think to the, to the former point there, There is something that just screams out, explain why there is death in the world. Mm. Explain why there is the sting of death. 
explain why the wages of sin is death, that it's destruction, that it's separation from God eternally, and then reconcile that to the price that Jesus paid, that mm-hmm. we would not have to be eternally destroyed. And I think, you know, I there was another clip that you sent me, and I don't know if yeah. we have time to get into it before the break. Um, do we have time for one more clip or no? Yeah, I have it, I have it in two pieces, so I could play the, the first one. Okay, let's start with the first clip. All right. And yet, to your point, again, what, what when I woke up here in Miami yesterday, first thing I did was call my wife, Ernestine, in Los Angeles. First thing she said to me, man, it's so foggy, I can't see across the street. I didn't think anything about it. I later read that the L.A. Police Department grounded all of its helicopters all morning yesterday in the Los Angeles area because it was just too foggy to fly. So a couple hours passed here yesterday, and I posted a picture on social media of a car that my friend Lil Wayne is going to let me use this week. And I was proud of that picture, and about one minute passed, and my phone rang as I walked back through the lobby of our hotel, and it was Ernestine. And I thought, oh, she saw the picture. Mm -hmm. Maybe she liked it. She usually doesn't like any of my pictures. (laughs) (laughs) And she was crying like I'd never heard her cry in the 15 years we've been together. She couldn't even spit out what she was crying about. And I was horrified because I thought something had happened to her or somebody at home. And she finally managed to get out. Kobe died. I said, no, no, that's not possible. And the details, as you said, were sketchy. And I spent the next 10 minutes trying to talk her off the ledge because I said, they, they got this wrong. Right. It, it just can't be. No, Kobe did not die. And then once the gravity of it struck me, I spent the next half hour in denial, to your point, because there's no way Kobe could die. Right. He was too big to die. He was too great to die. Right. If you had given me a list of 10,000 people yesterday morning and said one of these people is going to die today, I might have put Kobe Bean Bryant at the bottom of my list. He was just too big. And yet, I spent the rest of the day, as maybe a lot of us did, having to come to grips with my own mortality. Because if he can go, any of us can go. Yes. It hit me right between the eyes mm. once again. Again, to your Let's point. Let's grab the break. Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We'll take the break and be right back. Just give me Jesus. here today understand an eternal truth every child is a precious and sacred gift from God together we must protect cherish and defend the dignity and the sanctity of every human life when we see the image of a baby in the womb we glimpse the majesty of God's creation When we hold a newborn in our arms, 
We know the endless love that each child brings to a family. When we watch a child grow, we see the splendor that radiates from each human soul. One life changes the world from my family. And I can tell you, I send love and I send great, great love. And from the first day in office, I've taken a historic action to support America's families and to protect the unborn. And during my first week in office, I reinstated and expanded the Mexico City policy, and we issued a landmark pro-life rule to govern the use of Title X taxpayer funding. I notified Congress that I would veto any legislation that weakens pro-life policies or that encourages the destruction of human life. At the United Nations, I made clear that global bureaucrats have no business attacking the sovereignty of nations that protect innocent life. Unborn children have never had a stronger defender in the White House. And as the Bible tells us, each person is wonderfully made. Hmm. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons <laughs> on American Family Radio. I, I say, and of course, you know, it's just my opinion, but that's why you tune in because you want to hear us talking about the issues, right? But I think it's one of the president's finest moments. One yeah, of, I'm not I saying agree. it's the, but it is one of the president's finest moments. Um, there you heard him on Friday at the 47th annual March for Life in Washington, D.C., where he was the first president to speak at the March for Life. And um, you heard us talking about it on Friday. We played the clip and talked about another portion of the speech that just really stood out as the president was commending moms Mm -hmm. and just talking about the value of moms in the United States of America. I thought I I just thought it was one of his finest moments. And so we want to talk a little bit more about that. And joining us to talk about that is Jeannie Mancini, who is the president of the March for Life. Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. That had to have been an electric moment. I know that you guys were expecting over 100,000 people to be there, mostly young folks. And there, you know, there's always a lot of discussion about women and how women are going to be talked about, um, especially in an election year. But having the president show up at this moment um, in the history of the March for Life, how electrifying was that? It was incredible. It's always electrifying to be up on the stage during the March for Life rally, because as you look out to this sea of young faces, there's such, you know, positivity and enthusiasm and energy. And I would say that was ratcheted up quite a bit watching the young people with the president there. I mean, he really, um, he really connected with the marchers and the people at the rally. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, I thought it was incredible. And I, I thought um, that his delivery was perfect. I thought that he hit all of the right notes in affirming women and affirming mothers. I thought it was just a beautiful moment. Can we talk a little bit about the theme for this year's March for Life? Um, how did you guys come up with that theme? What was the aim? Well, uh, we came up with the theme for two reasons, and you, you were just hinting at it there that in an election year, there's so much confusion over what it means to be pro-woman. And so our theme this year is pro-life is pro-woman, 
and it's it's life empowers. That's the full theme. Life empowers pro-life is pro-woman. So one of the reasons that we chose that is because, again, there will be so many confusing messages about what it means to be pro-woman, especially this year. And with all, sadly, the Democratic candidates being radically out of touch with mainstream America on this yeah. life issue. And so the other reason, and, and actually the primary reason that we chose the theme is that 2020 marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which created a women's right to vote. And so we are remembering and honoring the suffragists, you know, those early women, those early female leaders who were pro-life. They had so many great quotes, and they recognized that the inherent dignity of women and the inherent dignity of the unborn were not at odds with each other, that they actually went hand in glove. Mm, very good. Jeannie, I'm wondering, how do you think that we have arrived at this place in our country? And I, and I know that you and others, we're, we're working to see this changed. But how have we arrived at the place where we associate being pro-woman with being pro-abortion? Like, how has that kind of gone hand in hand in our country? We had a fabulous keynote speaker on this topic. And I would encourage all of your listeners to check us out at marchforlife.org. And so the conference that we host is the day before the March for Life, and that's when we can really delve into the theme. And so we have the speaker, Erica Bakayoki, who is um, a legal scholar and has trained at Harvard and, and herself has come, you know, sort of from that perspective philosophically. And she gave just a profound and thorough analysis a history of sort of where and why we've arrived here and what that means and that's kind of the philosophical and cultural underpinnings that have led us there. And I would say by and large, we've we've arrived at this place because there's there's sort of a statement that's the antithesis of where we've arrived and it's that men and women are equal in dignity but inherently different and different in a complementary way. And it's really, I mean, that's that's kind of the heart of what this is about. But the opposite of it is, is showing that women's capacity for motherhood or fertility is more of a liability than it is something, you know, to celebrate and to be grateful for and, and something that will be part of her wherever she is, whether she is a mother or not. And that in large part, that's very much the heart of it. But Erica does a much better job of fleshing that out than I'm doing here. So the marchforlife.org is where we could go to find that marchforlife.org. Because I do think, I mean, it's a, it's a genuine question. I, I, you know, I think we think logically on these topics. And so we can see the beauty in motherhood. We see the beauty and the value of children. Um, we think that, that life is sacred, that it should be protected. So for us, I think when we look at this, you know, it's not a logical connection to make, you know, I am woman, therefore I should have the right to murder my child. I, I just don't see the connection in that. And so maybe I need to go in and watch that and get the full background because it's a sincere question that I have asked for many years. I just don't, I don't see it as a natural progression toward, you know, quote unquote, standing in your womanhood. I, I think that part of what makes you a woman and part of what makes you female is celebrated when we conceive or adopt or give birth or rear children and we are operating in that capacity. Right. And even I, I myself have not been given the gift of being a mom. And that's, you know, a sad thing. And yet my capacity for motherhood it's still very much part of who I am as a woman. There's um, a great 
collection of essays written by a philosopher, Eben Stein. It's called Women, and it talks about how being, you know, male or female is anthropological. It's part of our personhood, and she she delves into what does it look like in the workplace and just in life, and um, you know, the fact that women tends to be more people centered. Um, and a little bit more of the sensitive, not saying that everybody's going to sort of fall strictly, you know, in this stereotype, but, but there's deep anthropological truth to this. And, and for me, at least, I find it very healing and very beautiful, and it helps me understand more of how to embrace my mission and vocation as a woman. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to ask you something, Jeannie. You know, we look at some of the numbers that have come out this year, and I'm sure that you're aware of some of these numbers coming from Planned Parenthood. We know that Planned Parenthood didn't see as many patients as they've seen. I guess you call them patients or have as many clients as they've had historically. And yet they performed more abortions in one single year than than they've done at any other time. And I know that the president has made incredible gains. I know that we are seeing gains um, as it pertains to the issue of life. But at the same time, there is still something incredibly wrong that we continue to see babies lose their lives in this country, what is the disconnect? What is it that we don't understand that maybe is underpinning this? Well, you know, that's what we're trying to get at, you know, here at the I feel like that's the million dollar question. And if we could solve it, that we, you know, be working towards that place where abortion is unthinkable. I think something that's important to point out is that we are making tremendous strides. So, when you consider that the number of abortion clinics is down from its height, which was like twice of what it is now, now it's under 700. And the converse is true of pregnancy care centers. So in the late 80s, there were maybe 500 pregnancy care centers. Now there's well over 3,000. And those pregnancy care centers provide collectively over $100 million in free resources to women and men facing unexpected pregnancies every single year. We also have the biggest cohort uh, or the biggest demographic cohort of people who are pro-life are young people. When you mm-hmm. look at the, the government's you know, longitudinal, longitudinal data survey, it's young people are really on the side of life, and that's very exciting. And then, of course, the uh, abortion rate is at its lowest ever since Roe v. Wade happened in 1973. So we are making great strides in the direction of life. However, that said, as you're pointing out all of these things, there's a huge loss of life every year, and we live in a culture of the walking wounded, because when abortion takes the life of one, it also wounds the life of one or more than one, the mom and the dad, etc. And so certainly we have our work cut out for us. Um, I think maybe it's very important that we pray for conversion of heart, and, and not lose heart about that. But even within the March for Life, you know, uh, Nellie Gray, the founder of the March for Life, brought to the stage the row of Roe v. Wade, Norma McCorvey, three mm-hmm. times she spoke at the March for Life, but she dedicated her entire life to pro-life issues after she had a radical conversion. The Doe of Dobie Bolton, Mary Kano, was there. One of the guys that considers himself a legal, the legal architect of abortion, Bernard Nathanson. All of these folks are now deceased, but they all had radical conversions towards life. And you know, it's possible, and it's really important that we be praying for that. Let me ask you this. Like, with, with, with how much money is tied up into the abortion, you know, I guess it would be industry, uh, is it your hope that abortion uh, will be totally abolished? Like, can you see that in the future, or is mm-hmm. it 
is it just the incremental game that you that you see happening that's that we're going to have to live with or, or can you see it abolished well so to your question as to the money oh wow i mean the money's there hollywood you know yeah. it supports the abortion industry politicians support the abortion industry i mean when you look for example at planned parenthood's budget to our budget mm-hmm. they have like a two like a almost a 2 billion dollar budget Ours is about a $2 million mm. budget. So, I mean, there's just such a huge, you know, the, yeah. the David and Goliath thing is really, really true here. Right. So the, there's a huge discrepancy in the money. Um, so that's, that is one thing, and that's a good point. Now, do I see us abolishing abortion? So at the March, we're, of course, working to change the laws, but we're also working to change hearts. So we're, we're working for the day when abortion is unthinkable. I, I hope that that happens in our lifetime. And what I believe is that sometimes these things happen in unexpected ways. You know, a lot of us were surprised when Trump won um, mm. the presidency, and then now he's been able to elect um, two justices to the Supreme Court and many other judges at the lower courts. Um, so that's, you know, one surprise, and there are many surprises. And so um, I think what's most important, I don't, I don't pretend to understand the big picture and when this is all going to end and how it's going to end, but I think what's for me, what's most important is trying to be really faithful to what I think God is calling me to every day, because mm-hmm. then I'm doing my part. And we don't really understand how this whole big plan is working together, but we sure know that there is a big plan and that the battle is the Lord's and that He has the victory. Yeah, Amen. I hope we I hope we abolish it, Jeannie. I hope we get rid of baby murder oh, in this country. I know I'm you sure do. I know. I will. <laughs> it's a matter of yeah. 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 No, because I think about it and then I, I want to I know we're almost out of time here. So I want to I want to wrap up with asking you about um, how the March for Life is spreading. But let me just make this point to to kind of piggyback on what you're saying. I look at over 200 years of slavery and we were able to abolish slavery. And to your point, we were able to make it unthinkable. We were able to make it unthinkable. Right. And we've got less than 50 years of row. And I think, man, you know, the odds were stacked against us as it pertained to slavery. And it seems like the odds are stacked against us as it pertains to abortion. But I think people like yourself and others who are pro-lifers who are out there fighting, I think we need to keep the goal and the aim in our mind that while we make it unthinkable, that we also seek to abolish it. Because I think, you know, there's just, I mean, and you know this, Jeannie, this is what you do. Um, babies are losing their lives, you know? And so I'm encouraged by the young people who are involved, who are showing up Mm -hmm. in droves and who are really changing the culture. And I'm also encouraged by the work that you are doing with the March for Life. So let's talk about how it's expanding to other states. Yeah, I'd love to. So we'll have our second annual Virginia March for Life. So we're getting into the states to help create, um, you know, better state laws in the states. And as a lot of these questions are either incrementally or in the big way, return to the states to help support them as they're, you know, doing all of the good work of shutting down abortion clinics, of helping pregnancy care centers, of enacting good laws, etc. So we're having our second annual Virginia March for Life on February 13th. Last year, we had our first one in April and over 7,000 people came out. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was it was remarkable on so many levels. And that was a formal estimate given by the police at the um, Virginia Capitol in Richmond. We also are hosting a Connecticut March for Life in Hartford on April 15th, and then a a, a, um, Pennsylvania March in Harrisburg um, on May 18th. And stay tuned for more announcements on our state march program. 
Jeannie Mancini, everybody. I want to encourage you to check out marchforlife.org. Aaron the Addisons, uh, American Family Radio. We'll grab the break and be right back. And yet, to your point, again, what, what hit me hardest was that, that Kobe was becoming greater in his second career than he was in his first career. Yep. And to me, he, he was becoming so big, he, he had taken on like movie star status. Yes. Where he, he was a leading man. He had mellowed to the point that he had become a global icon, like an evangelist for basketball, Mm -hmm. where he would preach and teach basketball all over the world. And he let go of all the anger that drove him as a player to where he's a beautiful person to watch. And I always trusted him to react as the ambassador of the game, Mm -hmm. sort of the conscience of basketball. And I waited for his tweet to put it all in perspective. Right. So to me... Losing Kobe at 41 was like losing Michael Jackson at 50, right. or Prince at 57, or even if I can go back a little blast from the past, Elvis, Elvis. at 42. Sure. Mm-hmm. But there was one huge difference here. There was an element of self-destruction in all the downfalls of Michael Jackson, Prince, and Elvis, some element of self-destruction. And in this case, this was straight, unthinkable tragedy. tragedy. Just straight tragedy, yep. inexplicable tragedy, mm-hmm. depending on how you view it spiritually. As you said, you've got to try to make peace with it in whatever your life you, view is. Hmm. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back, searching. Aaron the Addisons <laughs> on American Family Radio. Uh, they are searching, Will. They are was, searching. Uh, Skip Bayless. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, there, there, is a, there, is an, there is a human attempt, attempt to grapple with death, to yeah. make sense of it, to understand it. In a sense, I think there is an attempt to reason it away. You know what I mean? Like to try to, um, okay, not have to wrestle with the eternality of it. That that now you have a person who one day was here with you and (laughs) seemingly all of the world knows him, as Bayless just said. You know, I mean, he was an evangelist of sorts, you know, (laughs) and then now he's gone. And in the clip we played in at the end of the first segment, Mm -hmm. I mean, he kept saying, you know, Kobe's just too big to die. He's too great to die. I mean, if that is not a metaphor for so much that is replete in scripture, Man. I don't know what is. Man. To look at the frailty and and just the humanity of us all, but in some way to still think, no, there's just you're that's he's just too great to die. And one of the things I want to do is I want to make sure that we understand that we need to show compassion. Um this morning I was praying with the kids. We we're praying through several different things. Mm-hmm. Um and among those things, we were praying um, for for Jews that they would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God mm. does not finish with his work Amen. with them. Um, we understand that they are Jews. Um, in fact, <laughs> Abraham is by faith. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The promise extended to mm-hmm. him as a pattern for us. You can check Romans 4 for that. Romans 11, the Apostle Paul says the Lord's work is not done with the Jewish people. And I was prompted to talk to the kids about that this morning because it's International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And um, over six million Jews uh, murdered. But the the fight with the Jewish people 
goes back to Egypt, if you will. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And so um, God's work is not done with them. So I was talking to the kids about that. So we were praying for Jewish people to come to full repentance, to understand that the Messiah has come, mm. that the Messiah has come. I mean, this is a huge, huge deal. So I wanted to make sure that they understood this. It provided us an opportunity to, to look at some history. You know, we educate them at home. So we talked about Auschwitz. We, we talked about Adolf Hitler. Um, and these were difficult. This is yeah. a difficult discussion yeah. to have with them. Um, you know, and one of the things that J.D. said, he said, Mom, you're really th- he was a real life like like super evil villain. <laughs> and I said, yes, son, he was in modern times videos, pictures like, yes, this was not, you know, and so that was difficult for them. We also prayed for the Bryant family and everybody else involved in the helicopter crash on Sunday. It was difficult for our kids to understand that. I mean, you know, Mariah is going to be 13, you know, in a week (laughs) and are at the end of this week, actually. And, and so, you know, Kobe Bryant's 13 year old daughter was with him. And when you read the reports of the helicopter going down, you know, there's one man who was nearby, who said he was out that morning drinking his cup of coffee. And he said he hears a chopper sputtering. Mm. He hears and he he calls 911 because he says, this isn't good. This chopper is going down. Now, what that tells me is that for for the precious souls on board that Mm. helicopter, they were aware that they were facing death. There wasn't this sudden crash and then came out of nowhere. But if this man was able to witness this plane or this this chopper sputtering and and call 911 and say, hey, there's a plane going down. And then and he said he saw the, the explosion, you know, um, that tells me that there were moments. I don't know how long those moments were, but there were moments where these nine people on board this helicopter had to come to grips with the the fact that they are about to perish. They're going to die. And that is very sobering when we think about it, you know? And so people are grappling all across this country. People are trying to make sense of it. Mm. And one of the things that I think is so important is we don't want to be crass as Christians. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to be insensitive. Mm -hmm. We understand that we pray for the loved ones. Mm -hmm. We pray for the loved ones, that they would be comforted. One of the things that we pray for Vanessa Bryant this morning was that the Lord would provide for her people who would help her make sense of this and that it would lead, if not, if she's not a believer, that she would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We prayed for that. We prayed for their daughters. I mean, this is a moment for the body of Christ to respond in prayer, but we don't do anyone any favors by automatically saying, just because we liked a person, they're on their way to heaven. Hmm. Come on. That's a mistake that we make. Guys, I'm sorry. We don't, we need to (laughs) tell the truth about about the cross of Christ. Amen. Good people don't see God. Only justified ones. Mm. Only justified mm. ones. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand this. You know, we, when, when, as we're reading through the book of Acts, we were, I was discussing with the kids, this was last week, we were going through Acts 15 and looking at the Jerusalem Council. And I was telling them how big this was for the Gentiles. Because forever and a day, now we understand that it's not by works that we're saved that we are justified by what the Lord Jesus Christ did because he is resurrected because we put our faith in that. Now we are sealed with the precious Holy spirit. We are forgiven. We are made righteous now in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to understand this. So it guards us when we understand the gospel, it guards us from trying to confer upon people salvation just because we like them. Mm. 
<laughs> I want people to understand this. Yeah. You'll, you'll miss the sobriety of death if there is no consequence apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If it's just, you know, no, I mean, we just, everybody just eventually goes to heaven. Why? <laughs> why? Why do we all just go to heaven? Why? Why? Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think people's desire that everyone go to heaven shows that there is something built in each and every one of us that we understand that there must be judgment for sin, that there must be consequence. But somehow we think that we're going to be good enough to outrun consequences. It's got to be really bad people. It's got to be really evil people. I mean, if, if we are to take the Bible at its, at its word, if we are to take the Lord at his word is what, mm-hmm. what he's revealed to us, then if hell has enlarged itself, it's going to be more than Hitler there. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Like we, we have these, <laughs> right. we have a sliding scale where we're like, well, these are the only people that really we have to worry about. You know, we don't need to. There's going to be know. some good people there. There. And, and that is something <laughs> that is difficult for people to yeah. wrestle with. Yeah. But I will tell you this. If you allow yourself to understand the sobriety of death, if you allow yourself to understand that every person must stand before God and only those who are justified by the Lord Jesus Christ, it leads to repentance. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't get there by strong, powerful thinking. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says you're a sinner and you deserve judgment. But there is someone who has taken on your penalty and paid it in full and he is resurrected for your justification. Mm. Christians don't allow people to get there if we say, oh, you know, I saw something and I'm not picking on people, man. I'm not picking on people. This is why mostly I don't comment when celebrities die. Mostly I only comment when those in the body of Christ die. Mostly. And the reason for that is because it's either I'm going to I'm going to, you know, people are going to say, well, you don't know. And you can't say. And you're right. I don't know. And I can't say. But I can tell you that some of the things I have seen have been so theologically unsound that I think you're not doing anyone any favors. You, there's not a basketball goal waiting for Kobe while he has a halo over his head. Man. <laughs> Guys, Man. We, Man. let's not do that. Right. Right. Let's not do that. Let's say, man, this is a sobering moment. And we pray that those people, we hope that those people knew who the Lord Jesus Christ is and that their hope and that their faith was in him. Mm. Look, I grew up. Let me look. Let me tell you something. Okay. I grew up in the type of environment in my, my neighborhood where mm-hmm. young boys carried guns. Mm-hmm. All right. Where, where they, where it was reality that they died. All right. And, and, and inevitably you have people who are just like, you know, Oh, he's in heaven. Rest in peace. And for some of them, they were neighborhood terrorists. Mm. For some of them, <laughs> you know, listen, guys, the reality of the gospel cannot be outrun just because you don't want people to pay for their sin. Man, that's true. And that's what we do. So the best things that we can do is when we see people grappling and trying to make sense with this mm-hmm. is not to give them platitudes where we say, oh, man, you know, he, you know we're going to see him again. Maybe, 
Maybe we will. Mm hmm. But the only way that we can really know where we will spend eternity Mm -hmm. is that we put our hope and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that we know where we will spend eternity is if we have taken on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to put it on as a robe. That's right. That's right. You know, he I'm, stepped in our place so that we can stand in his being the righteousness yeah. of God in Christ Jesus. Go ahead. Will now, I'm just reminded of something I was talking to you about over this weekend, too. I brought to your attention about how the NFL quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, his family was oh, upset with him goodness. because of some comments he made about Christianity. And one of the things he said, uh, and I think this kind of happens when you feel like, no, God can't do that. He can't put, you know, this person is not going to hell. God wouldn't allow that or whatever. But he said, most people that I knew, uh, church was just, you just had to go. I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the (laughs) end of all this? And I I believe Rogers grew up in church and, and, you know, and he made this statement. His family is pretty upset about his statements. They say that he's speaking against everything that been instilled in him. But the thing is, that's where we land if we're not careful, if we're like, oh, not this person, not that. You know, Mm -hmm. we start to have this almost like this belief that no one can go if, if we like them. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, it's amazing because and I don't, I don't know Aaron Rodgers. I like, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not into sports. And so I what I learn about that, I learn from you. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about him. But when you brought that to my attention this weekend and we were talking about, it, you know, I was thinking that's when you know just enough about God to reject him with knowledge. Mm. Right. <laughs> but you don't know enough as in being drawn by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to receive him with thanksgiving and with a grateful heart. And let me say this. I would say to Aaron Rodgers, and, and again, I don't know him, so I, I don't know exactly his history. I know that he grew up in a, in a Christian home, and I know that his family is grieving because of the statements that he's making. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're outrageous. Oh, yeah. They're outrageous. But I would say this. Anyone who has been wronged understands justice. They understand justice for themselves. They would understand um, the foolishness, and they would understand how ridiculous it would be for there to be, let's say, for example, a murder committed. And the judge has the person responsible in hand. And the judge is like, you know what? You look like a good person to me. You look, you look like a good person. You know what? I'm letting you off. I'm letting you off. They would be outraged because they'd be like, wait, <laughs> that's not your call to make. Right. This person has to pay for what he did. This person has to pay for what he did. We understand that when we are transgressed against. We understand that when there was a wrong wrought against us Mm -hmm. but transgression against god oh no he's gotta he's gotta clear the guilty Mm. he's gotta clear because that's love (laughs) so what are you then when you want justice are you a monster in fact our very cry for justice our desire for justice is a mark of being made in the image of god that desire that we have that what is right should be done We can say like Abraham said that the God of all the earth will do what's right. We know this to be true. So Mm -hmm. again, it is not our place to put someone one place or the other, but we must absolutely be found saying what the Bible says about who is justified and who isn't. Amen. 
We can't do anything against the truth, only for the truth. That's right. That's it for today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.